And we're live streaming to you from Founders Park in historic Ocean Grove, New Jersey. We are Music Matters with Jason Tram, and we're delighted that you can join us for our unique podcast community, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of the performing arts world as seen through the eyes of distinguished artists. Thank you so much for helping us grow. We just hit 1,467 subscribers this week. And please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and smash that bell icon for the most up-to-date information on our upcoming guests and topics. We love it when you like and share our videos. It helps to keep on growing our community. And to see our 170 past episodes, check out our website at www.jasontram.net. Again, that's www.jasontram.net. And we have a wonderful artist today. We have one of New York City's premier concert pianists. We have Karine Pagosian, a, uh, a dynamic artist uh, born in... Let's see if we get her biography in front of me. Born in of Armenia and um, trained in Armenia and come to the United States. She has a doctorate and a master's from Manhattan School of Music. She made her orchestral debut at 14 years old, playing Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 1. Made her Carnegie Hall debut at 23 and is a specialist in much repertoire. She's uh, really known for her performances of Kachatorian, but of course the classical repertoire as well. So welcome, Karine, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. When did you start playing the piano? Uh, I actually started uh, very early because there was a piano in my parents' apartment. Uh, apparently, I was terrible at going around and making uh, crazy noises on it. But <laughs> my actual serious lessons began at about age seven in Yerevan. Did you come from a musical family? Uh, my parents are not musicians, but they're very, very big uh, music aficionados. My father is a painter and a huge lover of Italian opera. Uh, and my mom is an engineer and also a huge music lover. So right from the beginning, there was music in the house all the time. That's wonderful. And uh, what was the first, first thing you remember when you started studying? Did it just, uh, does it just work for you? Did it just, was it magic? Or tell us about your very first memories of the piano. It's such an interesting topic because I uh, was a terrible, terrible student in the beginning. I was very lazy and hated practicing. Shocking, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it took me quite a few years to get going. And I also met a wonderful teacher at around age 13, 14, who uh, her approach was so different. It was so much more focused on storytelling and discovering colors uh was beyond just the instrument and just the actual act of practicing so it i think that is the moment where i realized i want this for the rest of my life this is my i journey. love that that kind of sense of storytelling because your music is so vivid um the the catchatorian piece that I played at the beginning just watching you unfold that piece it's not just playing a piece there's so much drama in your playing and i really appreciate that thank you thank you so much so you uh, you start your studies, you uh, you find that new teacher that inspired you. How did it work next? How, how did you find this uh, this great love of? And did you always know you wanted to do this as a career? Um, yeah, I think around fourteen it really became. Um, uh, it, it's interesting. I never had that um, kind of a commitment to a career kind of a moment in my life. It just was my life. It was became very clear that this is who I am. This is what in whatever form, uh, this is what I will be doing. And uh, there, of course, from that point forward all the way to now, there have been uh, a whole zigzag of highs and lows and all kinds of uh, experiences. But 
that feeling of this is my journey, this is why I was born, has never left, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> Isn't that the, the, the most amazing thing? As a conductor, I can say the same thing. I've had you know great moments and we've had challenges, and this past year is full of challenges and great moments. We find them uh, it, it within as well, and it's uh, amazing how the music sustains us through all that. Indeed. I so agree. So you attend an undergraduate degree in uh, Yerevan, is, was that correct? Uh, I actually uh, finished high school in Yerevan, and then uh, right after we immigrated to the United States. And so for my bachelor's, I went to Cal State Northridge in California. Uh, and then my wonderful teacher there, Professor Renya, uh, recommended that I come and audition here in the East Coast and see what opportunities would be here. And I came and I got into Manan School Music. And, uh, and yeah, you haven't that, left. I haven't left. That began the New York chapter, basically. <laughs> so you did your master's and your doctorate at Manhattan School of Music, and I'm sure MSM is such a wonderful school. Tell us about your training and what, what did that teach you, and what, is, what are some of the innovations you discovered there as you continued your studies in New York? Uh, it's a, an amazing, amazing environment to be in because, um, you know, everyone that's here is so good. And as a creative person, I think that fuels you in a way that nothing else ever possibly can. Just being around uh, like-minded people that are just as passionate about music, but are also individual, that we are all in our own kind of niche and, you know, no one's in anyone's way, uh, as it were. It, it just was, that was really the biggest uh, takeaway immediately that uh, I got uh, when I started school here and I'm um, very, very grateful for that because it definitely pushed me to uh, to work very, very hard, but also to become very crystal clear on who I am, where my strengths are. And um, so very grateful for that, for sure. And you did your doctorate, did I read this correctly, in two years? <laughs> yes. Mine well, took a... me three and I thought I did it quickly. <laughs> I'm a very strange person, what can I say? <laughs> You're a performing artist. We expect no one expects a quote-unquote normal performing artist. So we're no. all a little bit on the odd side. We have to be very, very much so. Yeah, I mean it's um, you know, and we chatted a little bit about this before uh, we started. Playing has always been a very big uh, priority for me. I I know that's where I excel. I know that's where my strength is, and I know that's where I'm the happiest frankly. And so it was a very, very rewarding experience to do the doctorate because I'm also a massive music history nerd. <laughs> so, too. We have so much to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to have the chance to, to do that and to do all of that research and writing, all these things that you get to do uh, were very rewarding and interesting to me. But I also really wanted to make sure I accomplish all of that as, as uh, efficiently as possible so that the, the playing does not have to stop at any point. Um, and I'm very grateful to say throughout all of my uh, years of study, all my college uh, years, I have been working, I've been playing uh, pretty much nonstop and doing performances all over the place, coming back and catching up. So, <laughs> so I think that was one of the biggest motivations to just get in, get out as quickly, as efficiently as possible. 
and get right back on the road and continue to perform, which is, um, there's nothing like that live performance. It really is. It just drives us all. It makes us, uh, it's what we live for. So did you always know that you were going to focus on, um, you know, I know you have a background in traditional repertoire, but you also do some really interesting repertoire. It's very interesting. The uh, Specifically, the Khachaturian uh, was a bit of a happy accident, I think I can say, because um, even though I am from Yerevan, I played very, very little Khachaturian back there. That's um, so strange and funny at the same time. It's, yeah, especially I remember uh, that very, uh, you know, now one of my favorite pieces, his Toccata, uh, I didn't even play that in, in <clears throat> those early years, but then I came to the U.S. and uh, again, thankfully, uh, I had to do for my doctorate. I had to pick um, a topic for my thesis, which we are always encouraged to do something that would contribute an, a unique individual um, a topic or something that hasn't been done a million times already. Which you know, of course, Beethoven is, concerti or <laughs> yeah. exactly. how many Beethoven it's books are. <laughs> Although Beethoven deserves all, uh, you know, it's a never-ending exploration. But nevertheless, I, I was questioning in my mind what I should do, what would be interesting both for me, but also for, for the readers, uh, ultimately. And I settled on Khachaturian, specifically Khachaturian for piano, which um, I realized is an incredibly under-explored, under-appreciated um, uh, topic. I mean, we know so much of his symphonic works, the ballets, of course, but Hachitim uh, for piano, not quite as much. And so um, I wrote about it. I researched and I wrote about it in my thesis. And then a few years went by and that topic just was constantly calling me and, and almost making me feel like, this is a little comical, but it was making me feel like a bit of a fraud <laughs> because you wrote about all of this for you, you're not actually playing it, you know. And so I decided, okay, that's it. I'm going to learn all of these pieces and, and do an. Boy, old... did you! I know you did. You've done two CDs on this music, correct? Uh, one, one oh, CD. One. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I and the CD itself was yeah another because uh, I put together the program. The performance went really well, and very soon after, I got the. Um, you know, the contract with Naxos, and um, here we are. Now Now the CD's out there. So it was a very interesting journey to get to that point. So what's it like um, discovering uh, this composer? You know, it's interesting. I find it interesting that uh, back home you didn't study his music. You probably studied the traditional piano repertoire. And uh, and what's it like discovering the, the work of someone new and really getting to know uh, the, the fine points of, of a composer like that? And um, what draws you to his music? You know, I think in a way it's a, a great blessing in disguise that I did not uh, begin to explore his music in, in Armenia because it allowed me a very, very different kind of fresh perspective to study his music from here and uh, to not just do it as like a, a big patriotic mission, which of course in a way it, it ends up being. I mean, I'm very proud of my Armenian heritage and he's of course the pride and joy of Armenians. Um, but it is really interesting to just go into it as someone that loves music and wants to understand music composition, how, how his mind works. And um, what draws me to his music is just how incredibly authentically uh, creative he is. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling that he started music studies at the age of 19. 
How yeah, that, people, that is unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable how we are right now sitting here talking about this man, because if you read his biography, that should not be the case, ultimately, right? I mean, starting for, at 19... For a great composer, for an acclaimed composer to start that late, it's amazing. But yeah, there there he was, and uh, right, right away when he started his um, studies in Moscow, he moved to Moscow to begin uh, composition studies, Almost immediately, uh, he was encouraged by all of his composition professors there, and he began to write music that was just very new and like nothing else that was being uh, written at the time. So I think that originality, that uh, God-given gift that he just was born with, uh, this is amazing. The, his grounding and his rhythmic sense is so unique. It's so so exciting, so thrilling and visceral. And then the, the, he can also write beautiful lyric melodies. That kind of Dajo is is so lyric and so romantic. Wow. Really, quite an interesting pairing. It's it's uh, and to me the craziest of all of that is that ultimately it's actually really simple. I mean, if you analyze that melody, the Adagio melody, how simple is that? It's just this pure little minimalistic almost. Uh, structure and yet it's it's goes straight to your heart it's just and that's so... what a great composer can do look at beethoven look at his cell look at the cell any cell composition. just the simplest of musical elements can be the most sometimes the most direct when a master sure. takes hold so true so true so developing into this style and then really into this composer how do you mix your your repertoire that you program because you've been doing so much repertoire lately i've been following you on instagram and you're doing so much repertoire but you're doing so much different types so how do you pick your repertoire that you're working on and uh, tell us about this covid period that you've uh, you've put out so many uh, virtual performances it's really interesting yeah I, I think you can easily divide my life uh up to covid and and what it has been since because in, in a way I feel like I'm a completely different person. Um, I mean, up until March 2020, uh, if you had asked me about my style and preferences, I would mention Liszt, I would mention Rachmaninoff. I definitely, my, my happy place definitely is there. Uh, 19th century romanticism and, you know, uh, some 20th century like Stravinsky and Fachapurian, etc. Um, but then in the COVID era when uh, I mean, basically, the Facebook Live series, they began literally that very first week of lockdown in March uh, last year. I just threw out this little uh, query out into my social media universe saying, would anybody be interested in listening to a little Facebook live stream on Friday night since we have nowhere to go? <laughs> That's for sure. We're all, we're all captive audience. <laughs> I was like, if, would anybody be interested? And I... I am not joking. I promise you I'm being very honest. I was planning on literally coming back one or two hours after that post and deleting it. <laughs> and I just thought this is the stupidest idea. Oh my God, I was so embarrassed. Uh, I, I mean, I've never done a live stream in my life. This is a rather, uh, I don't know, this is a crazy idea for me. And uh, when I came back to do that about an hour later, there were so many comments and saying, please, yes, we would love that. Um, and so, and so it began, uh, weekly we need music more than ever. When times are the hardest, we need music more, right? It's unbelievable. It's truly, uh, it's truly been such a blessing. And I know we're always, um, it's weird to say, uh, to speak of blessings in this very tough time, but it really was, 
something I'll be deeply grateful for uh, that came out of this year because I was able to, you know, as an artist, we sometimes hide in our shells. We hide in this veneer that we put on that uh, is very neatly uh, packaged and presented and PR'd and uh, that veneer just, <laughs> it just completely disappeared. It was me literally with my phone uh, putting it up and uh, pressing live and starting to play. Um, but yet it brought uh, people together from all over the world that were commenting. I'm watching from Portugal. I'm watching from Melbourne, Australia. It brought together people that were really suffering. Uh, I would get notes, you know, I want to dedicate, if you, can you play this one particular Mussorgsky uh, for my friend in Spain who has COVID right now and is really unwell. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most extraordinary connections and magic moments, um, that, that has been such a blessing. So grateful for that. You're getting some nice love in the chat feature. So one, one person, Diana Prasad, says uh, she was interested and it was amazing. And so, we, we, so you're getting some nice love in the chat. So I just want to let you know that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Hi, so what was it like on your after your first performance? And it's such a it's such a strange thing because I did um, I was doing like five rehearsals with my university groups, with my choral societies. I was doing rehearsals via Zoom and Skype, and I was doing a mm -hmm. lot of virtual projects where people would send in their recordings, and my son and I would turn them into virtual choir. We did over a hundred of those during COVID, and it's mm -hmm. like you know I, I it retaught me about what was important. It wasn't important that I get on the stage and make. It was more important that the community stayed together. What was how? What did it feel like to you do that first concert? And um, you know, we've all had to learn so much. What did you learn about yourself? Um, I, I think I first of all, I just learned that I'm much braver than I initially thought because, as I said, I was just terrified and I had no idea what I was doing. In fact, I did not know. <laughs> interesting uh, side note: I did not know that you have to press a, a button there to change it from mirror image and so it was the string the first one you see my right hand moving while you're hearing the bass register it's like what's going on so it was a massive learning experience and uh i think every single one of us can easily say that this period taught us that we're so much braver so much stronger uh so much more inventive than we give ourselves credit for because we have come out of it i mean we, we made it we we kept on creating, kept on playing, kept on sharing. Um, and um, after that first one, uh, of course, there were so many requests saying, can you just keep doing this? I thought, let me just uh, uh, see how far I can go. I initially thought maybe I'll do something really crazy and do it for a year. And then we hit the anniversary in March. And I was like, oh, I want to keep going. Let me just do a little more. So here we are now, this coming Friday, um, since it's close to 4th of July, we're doing Rhapsody in Blue. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> that will be Facebook Live number 68. Um, and to answer your earlier question about diverse um, periods and genres, that was another challenge because I, I really pushed myself to see if every single week could be something very different from the week before. So Holy last smokes, that's a lot of repertoire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Last week was Bach. So now we're going to Gershwin. You know, every single week, it's complete uh, shift of uh, continents and, and periods and styles. So, yeah, a lot of music. <laughs> that's, 
wonderful to keep yourself, your skills sharp and keep yourself out there learning. To, have you learned a lot of rep in this period? I have indeed. And uh, as we just chatted right before, the most fun thing has been playing concerti by myself, where I, of course, I'm playing the, the, you know, the solo parts, but then I also learn all the tutti. Oh, so you do the whole thing and you play the orchestra parts. That's awesome. It's absolutely insane. Uh, you know, I, I also sometimes when there's, you know, a back and forth between the piano and orchestra, I'm juggling and playing both for, or sometimes very, very a uh, few times I actually had to transcribe so I can maybe uh, play both. So I was cheating a little bit, uh, but it sounded, you know, it was uh, to make sure it sounds full. Uh, so yeah, I've played now close to, I, I don't even remember the total count, at least 12, 13 concerti from Mozart B minor all the way to uh, did Brahms, did Grieg, did Tchaikovsky, Liszt one, uh, Beethoven three and one emperor, quite a few. <laughs> that's, a, that's quite a, that's quite a, uh, quite a roster there. Uh, so yeah. what, what, are, what are you going to take away as we go? We're all going back to our, back to the new normal, whatever that's going to be. Cause society yeah. I think has been changed. I think we've changed society in some ways. And I think, um, you know, we've, we've all learned so much, um, you know, about technology and about ourselves, and we're starting to turn the page on the COVID chapter, but how are you going to take what you've learned and as you move forward into the next chapter of your career? Um, I think as with what I've heard from, from most people in many, many different industries, we're going to learn to uh, combine the old normal and the new normal we're going to find ways to you know take a lot of the things that we did uh in this period during this period that were very efficient for example the the zoom lecture recitals um for my patreon i have been doing these since january i without a doubt and i've assured my patreon followers because they're all very concerned you know once you start playing all over the place what, what will happen and i've assured them that <clears throat> uh, you know these will go on. These will go on as for as long as I humanly possibly can. Because um, when I do, let's say, a lecture recital on Zoom for my Patreon followers, this has been. This is not something I could have ever possibly accomplished in the in the old format where I'm on the stage. Let's say I don't know in Zankel Hall. Um, you know, you just cannot have that level of intimacy when you're seated at your own piano and you're discussing something about a composer. Like we just said before, you know, Bach's obsession with coffee, and then you're sh showing your coffee there, <laughs> coffee mug, <laughs> and here's me with my favorite mug. Uh, that is a degree of connection and personal um, engagement that I treasure uh, so so much, and I will most definitely carry that into the the future because I so passionately believe and it's it's really i can say this is my biggest mission <clears throat> that music has a place in every single individual's life uh, so you know, we're thank all, you we're always complaining that oh, what do we do you know or how do we get more people into classical music there's all this financial struggle and orchestra going bankrupt and opera companies are closing well i think this is the secret this is the, the way to overcome that challenge because we have to believe that what we're doing, what we're sharing with people is so, so needed, is so necessary. And um, 
I'm I'm beyond grateful that these new technologies and these new ways we've discovered to to share what we do in much more personal ways uh, are accomplishing just that. You have no idea how many people have, have written me and said, you know, I'm not really a classical person. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I, I, once they're touched, they're hooked. You know, once they once people I, learn about it, it makes it so exciting. Yeah, they would say I've never gone to a concert. Like before hearing you, I've never even considered. And now you make it so, uh, you know, you tell stories about the composer or whatever. You make it much more relatable, and I connect to that human being that wrote, you know, this beautiful piece. So um, yeah, a lot, a lot to be grateful for that has come out of this time. It is amazing about, um, I, I, I have a lot of different types of guests on the show. Um, I started with all my classical colleagues. So before I started, about March, I was doing a show at Merkin Hall. I was doing my normal concerts. I had lots of concerts booked and a lot of travel booked. And um, all of a sudden, COVID hits. Everything stops. All the rehearsals stop. Everything just, you know, I was supposed to be making my debut in Prague and Vienna with an orchestra, and I was so excited to get all that stuff off the ground, all of a sudden gone. So oh. I did a lot of yard work for about a month, and then I finished that, and I said, now I have to go back to creating again. I have all my Beethoven scores out, all my Brahms scores out, all that stuff. And then I said, you know, I miss my conversations. I was going to be in Europe talking to new friends and over cups of coffee and talking about life and art. And so I said, why don't I start doing this podcast so I can connect with artists like yourself because we have so much we can teach each other. And then mm -hmm. I started digging into contemporary artists. So we have a lot, about mm -hmm. half classical, half contemporary. And I find that the contemporary artists also, they're doing a lot of what you're saying. I call this the era of the indie artists because the indie artists, people who um, connect with music these days want to know the people that they're, that they're supporting. They want to learn who they are. They want to go well, a little bit behind the curtain. Like looking at your coffee mug and you talking about who this person is, is means a lot more than sometimes than, you know, a, 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 dis, a, a distant figure on a stage, you know, uh, but getting to know you and then hearing you play makes it much more personal. I think people want that today. Mm. Oh my God. I, first of all, thank you for doing that and doing the podcast. I think it's, that's so inspiring and bravo. And um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, interestingly, I actually feel that it could beautifully dovetail. It, it, it you know, it's never going to replace the joy of, you know, 600 people in a concert hall and that, that energy that without a doubt, that will still be there. But how much more engaged those people would be having come from, let's say, a week before had, a, you know, a one on one time with a, a small kind of virtual space on a, on a Patreon or whatever. I think it makes it that much more uh, lifelong of a commitment. It isn't just this one event you went to. It's exactly as you said, they get to know you and uh, they, they understand you as a person and all of that. So I agree completely. And to hear your energy and the passion which you approach your music making is is infectious. I want to go see you play. I'm going to be on your next pod. I'm going to be on your next broadcast. So I will miss it. <laughs> so what are your plans to retake the concert stage? And tell us about your travel plans. Where are some of the places you want to get back to playing? I know you've played all over the world. We've seen, I've seen you've done concerts in Vienna. And uh, have you returned to Armenia to perform again? I have not yet, and, and to answer your question on travel, uh, it's it's still so up in the air. Nothing nothing firm yet. I mean, I had a whole bunch of things that were, you know, moved and postponed and all of that. Um, uh, I was going to do Italy. I was going to do Vienna. But um, hopefully, I'm crossing fingers by September 
we'll have a clearer picture that, yeah, things are progressing. Very grateful to, to see that things are indeed progressing in a good direction, vaccinations and all that, that are bringing the numbers down so drastically. Very grateful. So hopefully that continues and uh, we can all go back to, you know, getting out there and, and playing live in, in uh, concert halls around the world. I look forward to you bringing Cacciatorian back to our media. I think that's really fascinating that you've made this journey and you want to bring that back home. It'd be fascinating to see how people yeah. enjoy that music of a national hero. Yeah, no, I actually did a, a performance in a, a small space as this beautiful museum, house museum of Cacciatorian uh, a few years ago. And uh, it was surreal just being in that space and, uh, there's all of his manuscripts around and you know, his favorite pen and all of that. It's just <laughs> magical. Yeah. To be that close to a composer is an interesting thing. I, I got to conduct in uh, Romania a couple of times, and I did Enescu in Romania. And the, the audience's reaction to hearing Enescu, an American conducted, they were so they were so cool about that. They, they, they loved it. It's they, their music. And uh, and it's such an honor to get to – that's one of the things I love about making music in other countries is the connection with new people and, and how music has got that ability to unite and inspire. Oh, so true. So true. Yeah, I mean, it's a – I know it's the most cliche uh, statement in the world, but it really, really is the most universal language where it doesn't matter what you look like and where you're from and what your beliefs are. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite things for when I do my little um, virtual Patreon uh, lecture recitals, I make it a point to avoid all things political and, and you know things like that because it is a joy to see people just come together and put all of that aside uh, I think we, we crave that so much because uh, all of that stuff has been emphasized so powerfully in the last few years. So um, I adore that aspect of music, how we can overcome divisions and barriers and just connect to that one thing that we all have, which is our heart. It is um, an amazing thing. And it's such an honor to get to work with musicians in other places. And you realize how, how we're all the same, ultimately. And politics may be challenging at times, but music is one of the tools where we can come back together. Amen to that. <laughs> so I had a rumor that you might play a piece for us on the air. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to play for us today? Well, you were asking about my recordings, and I thought I'd share a piece from my second baby. My, uh, I can show you my uh, my Rahman and Stravinsky CD that came out uh, in '19, and it was a really, really special project. I poured my heart and soul into it, so very, very proud of that recording. And I thought I'd share a little piece from that, the Mama Musica Number no. Four by Rahman. Stunning. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. 
say that artistry is the combination of technique and emotion and that was that embodied artistry in every possible way wow thank you so much for for sharing that thank you thank you it's a joy about mine <laughs> oh, so amazing <laughs> i've done the concerti i've done this can two two and i love of course two is so special and he's just he's just pours emotion just like something about rachmaninoff it really, it's magical. Two is actually my favorite. I, I love two. It's so pure and so simple in some ways. I love it. Yeah, amazing man. And um, so tell us about your connection with Rachmaninoff. What, what does that mean to you to play a piece like that? And how do you put yourself in the in the place to make that music? It's interesting. Rachmaninoff and I have the strangest uh, <laughs> relationship, if you can say, because uh, he musically... Uh, is very, very challenging. He's not, it doesn't come to me in a, as natural a way, let's say, as Liszt or Khachaturian. Um, he's so contrapuntal. It's almost like Bach uh, working on his music. But uh, it also, because of that, perhaps, it also gives me the biggest reward uh, emotionally playing it. It just feels so fulfilling. It, it just goes to the very depths of your soul it demands you to go there artistically but then because it does you uh it just it gives you a gratification like no other composer so it's it's magical to play his music that is magical and we'll listen to you play it is magical we have a question from michael from london who asks tell us about your practice routine how much do you practice on a normal day and um yeah i'm curious <laughs> to hear how you how you approach practicing um, well, Michael, I can share with you, this is my little journal. Uh, I am an avid journal, journaler, and uh, this is volume, in fact, 37 already. Wow. <laughs> I have an <laughs> shelf full of journals. And uh, I have found that if you approach it with something that's written on the paper, um, not only is it more efficient and there's a, a greater accountability, but... Um, it just makes it more fun and just you constantly make these little lists and little boxes and then you come back and check off like for example i had a big performance for my patreon followers yesterday and i literally wrote out on uh, on the sheet my program um and i wrote out you know specific sections and i, I can show you if you want sure uh, 
you get to also see my my uh, artistic uh, decorations. I, I love to draw and all that. So. Ah, yeah, so you get to see there's the you know, partita, courant, work on that. So that is my, if I can say, secret. Um, it helps so much to have that organization. And then the greatest thing about it is that it's always there for you to come back and uh, look back like a recipe book almost, because if you're going through a low, particularly, it's very useful to just kind of stop and remember a time where it was kind of flowing and things were working and you were at your best, you were in a good shape, and then go to the journals of that time and see what was I doing? What was that? How was I practicing? Ah, I was, uh, you know, I was getting up earlier or uh, I had just done a run in the park right before or whatever. You just have this record that then you use to uh, kind of re uh, rediscover that, I guess. So it's important okay. to be disciplined, right? Especially during COVID, we've had so much more time, so many more hours in the day, it seems like, and how to mm -hmm. fill those hours. And that's the challenge. What do you do when you're not doing music? What is uh, something that keeps you, that you enjoy when you're not making music? Um, uh, you already saw one of my passions. I like to draw. I am a, a huge fan of Taekwondo. So I oh. practice I'm a, a red belt, actually. Very proud. Congratulations. <laughs> Test my health test, um, and I, you know, I, it will probably not sound very surprising. I found enormous uh, connections between martial arts and music. I think that the discipline again and that ability to clean your mind and just be really in the zone and focus—it's uh, been very, very helpful. Um, in the COVID era, I also did something that I never had time for before because uh, I never had time to go to movies and, you know, get into any big series. But I uh, managed the feat of watching all Star Wars and all, um, let's see, Star Wars, uh, Marvel movies, all 23 oh, Marvel Oh, boy. <laughs> the Marvel I movies are a commitment. That's a lot of, just, they keep on branching up. out. You can, in fact, quiz me. I, I know all of it. So, Ant Man yeah, and the Wasp. <laughs> I know it. I can talk about it. <laughs> Paul Rudd. Yep. <laughs> Michael Douglas. <laughs> you know, the, these are the operas of today. I tell my students, I teach at university, I, I tell my students at Seton Hall, I'm like, these are the operas of today. It's the combination of all the musical elements put together. Mm -hmm. And um, these are kind of the operas of their day. The, the opera was the uh, all-encompassing art form, and the cinema is taking that yeah. role right now. It's very fascinating. I, I agree. And I also have found, and I always say this to younger people, um, I found it to be really rewarding to expand onto these you know, non-classical music universes. I think you can get a lot, because we, I think sometimes we tend to be a bit dismissive and be like, well, that's near, not really art or, you know, it's a little bit beneath me kind of a thing. And I actually think it's not quite the case. You get, uh, get inspiration and little sparks uh, of, you know, good energy, exciting energy, uh, then, then why not? And there could be there could be great art in entertainment and entertainment in art. So the two awesome. do cross over. I agree. And um, and you know, Korngold wrote film scores. I mean, so there were some great composers who started doing that. And Copeland, yeah, absolutely. Bernstein, sure. Yeah. So I I, I love some of the um, film composers of our time. Uh, my latest discovery was uh, Ludwig Göransson, who did the mm. Black Panther. 
um, I think he won an Oscar for Black Panther. It's phenomenal. He's very interesting young guy. He's like, he's a kid, 20-something or 30-something. Got a and great future ahead of him. My God, so, so talented. Very, very interesting composer. I love getting the composers on the show there. They think a totally different way. And I love that kind of like very introspective. They spend a lot of time alone, just like we do too. We spend a lot of time alone as performing artists. I tell them as a conductor that what you see in the performance is like, and let's just like you, it's like the, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg. The rest of it is that what you journal about is me with a set of scores and trying to come to terms with what was Beethoven thinking then? What is that? Why, why is this a three bar phrase instead of a four bar phrase? Why does the harmony change here? That's most of what we do is make those discoveries. And that's my favorite part of what I do is is that kind of alone me in the music and kind of thinking about what Beethoven might have wanted or Brahms or any whoever the composer may be at the moment. Right. Oh, I love that. I I, I love doing that sort of. Uh, then again, I also I'm a massive introvert anyway, so <laughs> alone time is is definitely very very rewarding to to just sit and explore and think and analyze all of that. So I agree. Well, I want to thank you. So tell us how people can find out more about you. Where can they go to join your Patreon page and to see some of your your stream performances? And where can they go to find information about when you're going to be performing live again? Uh, Patreon is really the best platform for folks to follow my work and to show their support for my work. As, as uh, you know, and we've made sure that it's um, there's many different tiers for. People, you know, whoever wants to join, if it's a young student that cannot spend a whole lot, uh, they can just join for a price of coffee, <laughs> five bucks a month. Uh, for slightly higher tiers, they get to come to the uh, recitals. I can show you, this is the recital I did yesterday. It was a, a Bach lecture recital. And with each recital, you get a downloadable, printable program that I designed myself. I'm quite proud. <laughs> and you, you do yeah, the art as well. You do the art as well. I, now I, I Oh, that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm a, a kind of a, a closeted graphic designer person. I don't know. I'm obsessed with uh, all things creative and design and all that. It's a, another fascination. But yeah, it's a really, really wonderful way to actually come on Zoom. These these lecture styles happen on Zoom. Um, and you get to hear about 45 or so minutes of music uh, that I play. It's a, this actual full recital experience but then at the same time I talk about the composer and I talk about the composer in a very unusual way where we're talking about their uh, you know personal likes and dislikes and struggles like with Bach we talked about the fact that the guy was in jail for a month how weird is that <laughs> and he, he had uh, 20 kids and uh, he uh, you know, he loved drinking coffee. Someone had I... to copy all that music. Oh, my Lord. He was doing a cantata every week for seven years. A new one. Um, so the kids uh, had to copy all the music. I love the stories. Like, holy, so he had to have a factory at home. That's why they were always <laughs> drinking coffee. That was his prized possession. When he died, he left behind his silver coffee urn. That was his most expensive possession. Oh, I did not know that. That is so neat. <laughs> I've conducted so much Bach. I'm a, I do a lot of choral music, and you can't do. Yeah, there's so. You know, that's the thing about Bach. The, all of his music is so great. It's like there's like it's all such a high level. It's a, just stunningly amazing. Yeah, he is. He's. Uh, he was. I, I don't know if he was human. <laughs> And he said, I, one of my favorite Bach quotes, he's, he's like, anyone who puts in the diligence that I put will be about the same result. I'm like, I don't know. I think you're being a little humble. <laughs> I actually. I actually wrote about that here in my program notes. I, I used that quote, and then I 
likened it to a similar quote from Michelangelo who said, if you only knew how much work went into it, you would not call it genius. And um, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, they're being very humble, but at the same time, it's so motivating and inspiring to know really how hard they worked. It wasn't just like you woke up and boom, there's the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> yeah, if, I bet he wishes it was. <laughs> he had to yeah. lay on his back all those years. Oh. <laughs> and they, yeah, injuring his, his neck. Yeah, definitely not, not easy. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope everyone goes on your Patreon page and watches your recitals and connects with you because this is an artist that you want to get to know and of course go see live, but of course get to know behind the scenes and continued success and blessings in your career. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to keeping in touch. Likewise. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Music Matters with Jason Tram. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and smash that bell icon for the most up-to-date information on our upcoming guests and topics. We have one more show today at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have A.C. Jones, an outstanding and acclaimed indie country music uh, rising star, and I hope you can join us. Thank you so much, and keep music alive. <laughs>